Stupaniska, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. We're here at the CBAM Global Business Symposium on BRICS and Beyond, and that indeed is the title of your presentation, the BRICS and Beyond. You came up with a new acronym. We've spent the day hearing quite a lot of acronyms, E7, Civits, even Nuts, and, and yours was the N11. It sounds like a road, but clearly it's not. <laughs> it sounds like a bus as well, the <laughs> night bus. The next 11 is a group of countries um, which have the largest population beyond the BRICS. We came up with this acronym in 2005 in response to a lot of the questions from our clients, from investors, about which countries might have the BRIC-like potential in terms of overtaking the G7, in terms of challenging their consumer in terms of dominating the global landscape. So we looked at other countries, as I said, in terms of their potential to become large and in terms of their current population. So we came up with the next 11. It's a very diverse group of countries. Um, There are countries like Korea, Mexico, Turkey, which are already part of the OECD group of countries, so relatively developed. And there are some other countries on the other end of the scale, like Bangladesh, Nigeria, Pakistan, uh, Iran, the countries that are relatively poor, less developed in terms, of the, uh, in terms of their financial development or political conditions, etc. But it's this diversity that we think that is interesting to investors, and we think that investors can benefit from it. Now, Anna, you are the macroeconomist and executive director of Goldman Sachs Asset Management, so you're well-placed, if you like, to, to look back at the past 10 years and forward at the next 10 And you gave your conclusion that the BRICS have been the winner of the decade, but the next 10 would see dramatic changes. And you you showed graphs of changes in GDP from 2010 to 2019. So, first of all, BRICS clearly the winner of this decade, but the next decade, as you say, is going to be more diverse. Exactly. The most interesting thing and the most impressive aspect of the whole story is that the development of the BRICS is not over yet. Yes, we know uh, the BRIC countries, we know their importance, and the, but the last decade was more about people, investors, companies becoming more familiar with these countries and about realizing that they do exist. The next decade will indeed be about dramatic changes. Uh, in our view at least, um, BRICS will certainly add much more in terms of the GDP size to global GDP. We think they could uh, actually overtake the US, the G7 at some point in the next 10 or so years. We think China could overtake the US already by 2025, 2027. Now, What's interesting is that the BRICS consumer, that's the most interesting story that we're talking about, is going to dominate the global landscape. And this crossover, exactly when the BRICS consumer might challenge the U.S. consumer, will also happen in the next 10 years. So that's why we still talk about it. We still emphasize that the BRICS remains the most important story, the biggest story of the next decade, of the next several decades. There are some other countries that are important. 
but the BRICS indeed um, remain the biggest. And, and you then looked at the evolution of the middle classes, which is fascinating, because the China, of course, trying to bring more of its poor, rural poor, up into urbanised middle class communities. Brazil, having done that, invested a lot in, in its poor and it's now overwhelmingly or just tipped into a a middle-class society. But in India, that will happen uh, later. Um, Why do you think this, if you like, expansion of the middle classes globally is is so dramatic and so unprecedented and, if you like, is the linchpin of what's going to happen in the world in the future? These countries are growing very fast. Of course, they're getting bigger, people are getting richer. As they cross this middle income class threshold, they start changing their consumption patterns. Uh, this is why it's so important. Uh, so you saw my chart. Uh, I showed this uh, expansion is not uh, close to its peak yet. Today we have about 70 million people joining global middle class. Uh, this means that between today and 2030, we'll have about 2 billion people joining global middle class. Again, mostly driven by China and India, but there are some other countries that are also important. Now, why it's so interesting in terms of investment implications is exactly because the consumption patterns are changing and companies can benefit from this change. They can capture these opportunities when people switch from necessities to discretionaries. They start demanding more cars, more washing machines, more TVs, various electronic appliances. And this uh, acceleration in demand for these goods actually happens exactly at the, at the threshold or around the threshold for the middle class, about $6,000 in PVP terms per capita per year. And that's why we're talking about the rapid acceleration, say, in demand for uh, cars that is coming out from, from China, from India. We're observing this pattern, so that something that we have already seen in Korea uh, or Japan post-war, and now this countries are in this in the sweet spot and then 11 it's uh, it's uh, mexico turkey uh, that are going to change to show this rapid expansion in demand for consumer durables and, and indeed in your session you sat on a panel with speakers talking about turkey vietnam africa beyond the sub-saharan that's the interesting thing isn't it about the the symposium today it's sort of bringing in a mix of other countries that haven't been talked about and may be thought of as outsiders but are still going to be very important in terms of their growth because who would have ever thought about turkey or or vietnam and we know vietnam may be precarious education's an issue there turkey has invested a lot in educating its population but um, is that why you thought up that acronym of the n11 uh, how we thought about the acronym? Well, we, we didn't want actually to come up with another acronym because uh, we used to get comments from people that BRICS is just uh, a marketing exercise, which is not true. And this event and many other events that uh, I speak at is, uh, is a testament uh, to this view that actually this is something more important, more significant than than the marketing um uh, exercise. Now, the next 11, we just uh, uh, decided that these countries will be important, will be big, um, and we, th- there is no particular science behind it. But in terms of potential, uh, they will actually move the global landscape, uh, and we decided to call them next 11. So that's the next 11. Okay, okay. But, but, but you ended by looking at, at what you think is going to be the dramatic change of the next decade, and you talked about politics, 
stability, the, the macroeconomic environment, human capital and, and technology as well. And, and that perhaps, you know, we're now going to see Brazil, China, Russia, India, a bit of rejigging of the order of the BRICS perhaps and, and then, you know, uh, the rise of even Bangladesh and, and Pakistan in, into your next 11. It, it's an exciting time, but one of which investors may be feeling, frankly, quite, quite lost. I think they are lost, and this is why we do talk about these 15 countries. And also I mentioned the growth markets, um, the group of countries that we think have already emerged. So these are the BRICS and the four of the largest of the N11, Korea, Mexico, Turkey, Indonesia. In this way, um, what we're doing is that we're taking the whole of the emerging markets universe, which is probably 150 countries, and we're weeding it down to this 15. And we're saying to investors, look, these countries have the most potential. Focus on them. If you're lost, focus on them. They have uh, better liquidity. They have they have younger population. Most of them, uh, they have huge potential. Now, what you said uh, at the beginning of your question, technology, political conditions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, these are all risks that we look at these growth conditions to assess the risks, uh, and we're transparent about it. We're saying these countries have the potential, but there are different probabilities that each, each country has in satisfying this potential. So, again, the BRICS, the growth markets, Korea, Mexico, Turkey, have a higher probability of becoming large, of generating interesting opportunities, of uh, uh, becoming more liquid from the financial markets perspective than other countries like Bangladesh, Pakistan, Nigeria. But if these countries that are at the bottom of the ranking today manage to improve their growth conditions faster, they could actually surprise on the upside. So we highlight the countries with most potential. We attach some kind of probabilities of this potential coming true, and we're saying, look, you have to monitor these countries. If Nigeria does much better than you think, well, you have to not follow this development, but you, you have to anticipate it and be in these countries today. And there does seem a, an issue of ethics listening to all that's been presented today. In the sense, you, you earmarked uh, politics and stability, but the lovely story of Turkey and the poets who took over as, as prime minister and, and invested in education in that country, and, and then it's suddenly you know, becoming much more important than people had thought possible. If I give you £20 and send you down to Ladbrokes, but to bet on who's going to be in that sort of top 10, perhaps in 2050, where would you put your money? Would it be in those who are investing in their populations? It would be. That's why I've spent a few years of my life talking about this, and uh, I'm quite confident in this story. As I said, there are many, uh, th there are different probabilities for these countries, uh, but they do have potential. Uh, and exactly when we're talking about populations, especially young populations, and we think about, uh, I mentioned Nigeria, uh, the average age there is about 19. So these people uh, are inspired, they're joining the labor force, they want a better future for their country. So I think this combined with, with the right government policies should ensure good growth stories for these countries. And education is key. Education is key. It's in our growth environment score, human capitals. Uh, there is uh, life expectancy and schooling. So schooling is education. Uh, and it is, uh, it is a very, very important factor, of course. And what I must say is that 
as people get more educated, they are more likely to challenge the growth environment in the country. So I, I, I talk about middle classes, I talk about consumption patterns. I have not talked about potential political and social changes in these countries. And we're already seeing it today in the Middle East and Northern Africa. And I think we will see it more and more, uh, people starting uh, questioning this. So again, going back to my point about growth conditions, it's uh, crucial for governments to to achieve a balanced improvement in the growth conditions, including education, including technology, including political conditions, etc., to make sure that their stories turn into success. Anna Stupanuska, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today here at the CBAM Global Business Symposium on BRICS and Beyond. I think you've earned your cup of tea. Thank you very much indeed. (laughs)